I'm here with Butsy. It's a Butsy Max NBA segment, which doesn't happen often. I want to get back on the NBA more. I love NBA. Yeah. I mean, and and you know what? I will say football has been occupying a great deal of my time. But now that, you know, there's less games, less to cover, uh, I'm back. I'm back in all in on the NBA action. Yeah, locked in NBA time. That's good. Uh, all right. So there's a lot that happened uh, last night and today. So we're doing a semi-emergency podcast right now. Um, we're going to cover four things. We're going to start with Terry Rozier to the Heat. Then we're going to talk about Adrian Griffin getting fired. And then we're going to cover uh, Joel Embiid and Cat both dropping ridiculous amounts of points last night. So a lot to get into. Uh, let's start with Terry Rozier to the Heat. Now, last night or this morning, I guess, uh, the news breaks that Terry Rozier gets traded to the Heat from Charlotte. Charlotte gets a 2027 first round pick in Kyle Lowry. Uh, what was your initial reaction to this trade? Because to me, I thought this was a ridiculous fleecing by the Miami Heat. Yeah, this makes no sense if you're Charlotte. I don't understand why Charlotte in any capacity would ever do this. Um, the Heat just upgraded their point guard in a very big way. Um, also took on less of a cap cap space situation. I think Terry yeah. Rozier was earning, I think it was $6 million less than Kyle Lowry was per something year. Like that. It was like 23, 29, something like that. Uh, where the contract exchanges there and and the first round pick. I mean, I, you know, Terry Rozier is in his prime right now. He's playing very good basketball. He's, I you know, I went and saw him play out in uh, Brooklyn when the Brooklyn Nets played the Hornets. And Terry Rozier had like 35. I think he missed two threes. He was like six of eight from three and had 10 assists. I mean, he was spectacular um, on the year. He's averaging, I think, 24 a game. Um, he's playing like he's he's incredible, you know. I, I don't really understand why um, why Charlotte would do this because I don't see the Heat being bad in 2027 either. That just means that they're, you know, they're trying to go full rebuild still. I don't, I sorry, I, I'm, yeah. just, I'm perplexed. I'm so confused by this. I don't even know how to put it into words. I, I don't understand it either because, like you said, they're trying to go full rebuild, right? Well, that 2027 pick, is probably going to be in the 20s because Eric Spolstra just signed his new deal. He's a great coach, and he never really gets a team that's below 500. He always gets the most out of the team. Um, granted, Butler will be 38, I believe, in 2027. So he will be old. I could see a scenario where maybe they're in a year of turnover and change, right? But they still probably should be pretty solid, so that pick might not be very good. Secondly, um, Kyle Lowry. I mean, I feel like you could have gotten a younger prospect or something for Terry Rozier. I think you could have gotten a way better return for Terry Rozier, whether that's a better pick or a better asset. Kyle Lowry, the only positive for him is that he's probably a buyout candidate or if they're not, not, they're not, they said they weren't going to buy him out. Yeah. So I don't I know why today, they, brought they weren't him, yeah. planning on buying him out. I don't yeah, get it. I don't get it all. Um, other than that, he's just an expiring. His deal is up uh, this year. Um, he's due or actually technically next year rather now. Um, it's very weird or sorry. I was looking at Terry Rozier. His deal Kyle Lowry's deal is up in this year. So obviously next year he becomes an unrestricted free agent. Um, he is making right now uh, $29 million. And ter yeah, Terry Rozier is making 23 and then 24. And then it seems like he has a player option in 30 uh, when he's 31 at the 2025-2026 season for the Heat. Um, if he opts in, he would be making $26. So $26 million. $26. $26. $26 $26 a little bit more than $26. So, uh, yeah, I see why the Heat did this. This is like the biggest one-sided trade in the most in the last five years, maybe. This was 
I, I don't get this. It is um ridiculous. Like it's truly the most one-sided trade ever. Charlotte, you would think could have gotten something much better than you know a, a late first and a couple of bad drafts from now. Like I don't get it at all. So I guess the only thing is like Charlotte's hands were a little tied because yeah. Terry Rozier said he only wanted to go to the Heat. Um, but they they would have been more tied if he was expiring. He still has he's still right. under contract for uh this year and then next year. So I mean, like you could have traded him to a t- I guess maybe the team didn't want to give up as many assets uh for him if you can't like you know confirm that he's gonna not be around on the team next year. So I don't know. It doesn't make sense to me still. Yeah, listen, I mean Terry Rozier is averaging twenty three a game, six and a half assists and four boards. And yeah, you're just adding him to a heat team. I like I had it in my notes. I think he's a complimentary piece on any championship thriving or striving roster. Um, and I, I think he's going to fit seamlessly in with the Heat and what the Heat are doing right now. Uh, Terry Rozier is a guy that's in his prime, and I, he's only going to help the Heat. It's just we all agree it's going to help the Heat, and I don't understand what the Hornets are doing. It makes no sense. Yeah. Yeah, so like how he's going to look with the Heat. I mean, this is exactly the person they needed. They needed another offensive option. Uh, defensively, they're really solid. They just don't score enough. And adding in Terry Rozier is really going to help with that, especially because they don't really have a point guard. Um, Kyle Lowry was just not getting it done. He actually wasn't even starting towards the end of it. Um, so adding Terry Rozier along with uh, Tyler Hero, Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo, that makes a really nice you know core of young guys and uh, older vets as well yeah this trade is exactly what the heat needed and i'm so pissed off as a celtics fan that they were able to just fleece charlotte like that um any other thoughts on this one or should we go to aldrich now or uh the what's his face now adrian griffin yes adrian griffin jeez my let's go to that guy because i got i got a i got a cool piece of information for you about this right, trade. yeah do you want about the trade or griffin? yeah oh, sorry uh griffin adrian griffin right, um obviously yeah he gets fired from the bucks uh the bucks are tied for the second best record in the NBA right now, um, which is insane. But cool bit of information. Terry Stotts. Does that name ring a bell, Max? Yeah, that's uh, he left this year, right? He left at the beginning of the year. The old Blazers coach. Yeah. Gets hired on the Bucks assistant staff. Yes, and then he leaves at the start of the year, right? He leaves um, like a month into starting the job. Yep. And that was weird. It was weird, but. It's because Adrian Griffin is psychotic. Like, is it? Oh, really? I, it's yes. It's like Adrian Griffin is literally a maniac, and Terry Stotts worked under him for a month and said, "Fuck this, I'm leaving. I'm done. Yeah. Like, I don't he need to be here. Retirement. I don't need the money. I don't need anything." And you think about it, it's a little even. It's deeper than that because you think about Dame, who was in Portland for all those years. Why mm-hmm. do you think Dame? What was a big reason why Dame stayed in Portland? Because they had Terry Stotts. Yeah who like was Dame's coach for a very long time was a big reason why he was able to stay in Portland. And now he's on the assistant staff. And the fact that, you know, Adrian Griffin couldn't get that locker room. Like I, it just seems like they had no cohesion within the locker room. Uh, Dame's guy, Dame's head coach for a very long time, who he's very fond of and loves leaves immediately. Um, and they couldn't keep him there. I, I think it was just a telltale sign that Adrian Griffin had lost the locker room. Um, and I think it, it's weird because I don't really feel like we've ever seen it's like a, a coach who's leading a team who's this successful midseason get fired. Um, yeah, I don't think like so. in a very long time or maybe ever, you know, the second best record in the league. But it's going to be interesting to see who fills his, his spot because the Bucs obviously do have a championship caliber roster, um, but their defense has been bad all year. And it's what's their anchor 
when they went on their title run a few years back. So I think this is obviously one of the craziest uh, job openings, and it's, it'll be interesting to see who fills it. I know, uh, especially because Giannis handpicked Adrian Griffin. So we're probably kind of starting to see the final you know, couple years of this player empowerment era because, um, or at least to the point, like we saw the big failure in Brooklyn with KD, Kyrie, and James Harden. Now, after that happens, you see a lot more GMs kind of, you know, taking the keys from the players and, you know, putting them back in their own pocket and making the decisions. Um, the other thing we haven't seen that with yet is coaching, but maybe this is the start of a shift because it seems like Giannis was very pro Adrian Griffin when maybe they were looking to go towards, uh, you know, go a different way. And um, obviously this blew up in their face, although they weren't necessarily that bad. The defense, I think, is the biggest aspect here. Their defense has not gotten better at all, and it doesn't look like they're making enough changes to that defense to make it better. Um, and I think I've watched a little bit of Bucks this year. I mean, I've watched, I try to watch every team. I watched the Bucks a, a good amount. And one thing I've noticed is that Giannis looks pissed off and disconnected from the team he does not sit in the huddles really he sits like outside of the like on the end of the bench while they're doing huddles um he'll ignore adrian griffin a lot like adrian griffin kind of gives high fives or like slaps guys on the ass when they come out of the game he does not like do anything to Giannis. they kind of ignore each other and it's pretty clear that there's been um a disconnect to say say it frankly between him uh Giannis, and adrian griffin so i guess we could have seen this one coming but for the Bucks, I mean, this is a lot of turmoil midseason now. I feel good about this as a Celtics fan. Yeah, you do, obviously, but I it depends who comes in because I think that I don't I I'm trying to think of free agent coaches and Doc Rivers is kind of one of the first names that yeah. came to mind. Um and that would I don't know how that would go because I actually think Doc isn't a terrible coach. Obviously his stint in Philly didn't go very well, but I don't think Philly had the roster to beat yeah. Boston in the first place. So I don't give, you know, I don't put all the blame on doc. Um, and obviously oh, that was, disfun- that was a dysfunctional team. That was really yeah. hard. Um, 100%. And also real quick, just sorry to cut you off, but three hours ago, Woj tweeted the bucks are planning to quickly pursue a small pool of accomplished and available veteran head coaches with doc rivers near the top of the list. So oh, see, I didn't sounds, even see that. I, mean, it. It just, I didn't even see it. I just called yeah. it. But it makes sense, right? That That is one of the hirings that, that makes the most sense for Milwaukee. Uh, defensive-minded guy, veteran coach who knows how to coach championship-winning teams. Obviously, he did with the Celtics in 08. So, I don't know. It's going to be very interesting. And they're going to – and I think Woj just said it was going to be a quick turnaround, right? It Like, it has to be. You know, you're the second – you have the second-best record in the NBA. You're pushing for the one seed in the East. They're, I think, three or three games back, four games back of Boston uh, for the one seed right now. They're going to need to start playing really good basketball um, as the all-star break comes up. And then after it, they really got to push for the one seed if they're going to want to, um, you know, have home court throughout the playoffs. And so they need their, they need their guy in there very quickly. Yeah. Especially like if you're looking at seating is going to be really important because the teams with the fifth, sixth and seventh, that's the Knicks at five, heat at six uh, Pacers at seven and the magic at eight. Um, Drawing a team like the Pacers, the Heat, or the Knicks first round is really difficult, especially because, I mean, the Heat went to the finals last year. The Pacers are going to be, are are really good. at they, they can beat you any night with their scoring output, and adding Siakam to that is really solid. And then the Knicks are really good as well. So, I mean, this is, the East is killer, killer right now, and it really makes who ends at number one 
really, really important because I think like if you end up as two or three, you could have a really tough first round opponent. So, and you could really have a tough second round too. Yeah. You know, exactly. like if you, if you think about it right now, if the season were to end today, the Bucks would have to play the Sixers in the second round. The Celtics have to play the Cavs. <laughs> yeah. Like I think the difference between playing the Cavs and the Sixers is ginormous. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. And that leads us perfectly. I mean, the Sixers last night, Joel Embiid dropped 70 points. Special. Holy fuck. And then on the same night, Cat dropped 62. So what an outrageous night for the NBA for scoring in general. Let's start first with Joel Embiid. What is your takeaway from his 70 ball? It was ridiculous, right? And I think one of the craziest things is they only won the game by 10. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. it's nuts to think that he scores 70. They put up 133 and they still gave up 123. Um, welcome to the league, Wemby. I know. Like this was, you know, this was the matchup. Uh, this was his first time going up against Embiid, and Embiid just had his way all night. Um, he was insanely impressive from from the field and the free throw line. I think he had twenty one free throws, shot twenty one of twenty three from the line. Yeah, he was ridiculous all night. He took uh, forty one shots, twenty one, twenty three free throws, fifty eight percent from the field. Like you know, I watched uh, a little bit of this game today. Like I watched the highlights on um, on YouTube, and then I went and watched the full game on League Pass. There's a chance he could have had 80. Oh yeah. He missed like, he started like, slow in the first, kind of. I mean, yeah. he had like he had like 20 in the first, but he missed like three or four shots. He missed a few that you were kind of like, ooh, like that should have dropped. And he, you know, the way he was just scoring uh was was so impressive. And and definitely he's, in my opinion, the second best player in the league right now. Behind Joe Jokic still. Yeah, I agree with that. Um yeah, I mean it's it's hard watching Embiid. Because he's so fun oh, to it's watch impossible. at some points, but the fouling is, yeah, it's, it's not. Horrible. It's really rough. Like that was that game was a lot of fast forwarding through free throws. I mean, twenty three free throws is, it's ridiculous. And now he's just gotten to the point where you have to hack him at all times. But they give him a lot of benefits of the doubt um, on this. So it was it was a tough seventy to watch. I'm not gonna lie to you. Yeah, I think there was a few plays because Jordan and I watched. We had a Sixers and a parlay. The first mm-hmm. leg of a parlay on Friday night, and guess who the second leg was? It was Jordan's Lakers. Of course, <clears throat> of course. Jordan, Jordan's Shit over there the sitting in the corner, and uh, it didn't cash. Obviously, they got spanked Obviously. by the Nets. But I was watching that game, and I was like, "Dude, this is a fucking really bad game to watch." Like, it, it is. And B just foul baits the whole. It's just a. It's such a slow paced game, um, because of all the free throws and the foul baiting. But I mean, a lot of them. You, that's the only way to stop him is to foul him because he is a behemoth and a monster. But there were two plays specifically that I think a few social media accounts posted after the Magic game where Embiid ran right into defender's chest and just fell oh, down yeah. and gets the call. And I'm like, you like you, against that's a, that's a huge part. Yeah, that's a huge part of that's a huge problem and a huge mm-hmm. part of why he gets so many free throws is because he's always looking to just go to the ground. Um, and the Magic head coach flipped shit. He was yeah. like, what the fuck is he supposed to do? I think they kind of had a slow-mo lip read yeah. uh, for those Hell lip readers yeah. out there. But, I mean, it's 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 ridiculous that he scored eight, uh, 70 because that's still, you know, an, an incredible feat. I know. And his career is so interesting because if he doesn't win a chip, people are going to be talking about him, you know, not being one of the greatest centers of all time and not doing this, not doing this. But, I mean, if you're looking, just let me read through the, his last couple games. Ready? 70 points, 33 points, uh, oh, sorry, 70 points, 18 rebounds, five assists, 
33 points, 5 assists, 10 rebounds. 36 points, 2 assists, 7 rebounds. 41 points, 10 assists, 7 rebounds. 41 points, uh, 10 rebounds, 3 assists. Like, it is basically every single night that the, that you can expect Joel Embiid to get at least 30 points and over 10 rebounds and a couple assists. Now, I know Jokic, you can kind of expect that all every night as well, but, I mean, he is just one of the most unstoppable players in the NBA right now, and uh, I'm happy he's not winning as a Celtics fan, but it's going to be interesting to see what he decides to do because this Philly team is really solid, but I don't feel like they're the favorites coming out of the East, and he has all the leverage here to ask for something to be done because at the end of the day, he needs to win a ring here to start, be t start getting talked about like one of the greats. So it's funny because there's another player that comes to mind who was one of his teammates formerly who used to put up ridiculous stat lines every single fucking night. Um, it Jim would be Harden? it would be Jim Harden. Yeah. And I said the way James Harden plays when he was in Houston, that he was never going to win a ring because mm. he's way too heliocentric on offense. His defense was in Houston. In Houston, it was awful. It got better as his career progressed, slightly better. Um, a few tip balls and steals every now and then. But sure. the his heliocentric offensive game is just not a winning formula for championships late in the season and against really good teams. When the defense is legit, you need a full team to win a championship. Like you, I can't think of one guy who's straight carried a team to a championship because he's scoring 40, 40 a night, um, 40 and 15 a night. Like you don't, that doesn't happen because you need a full team to win a championship. I think Embiid's running down the same path unless he goes somewhere else in the future. And when he does, he's going to have to change his game. Like, if he's playing alongside a championship-caliber team, there's no way in hell he's ever going to have to – ever going to score 70 in a game. There won't be enough basketballs. Yeah. And, I, well, I also think um, that the foul calls get less they, – they just call less fouls. They let the guys play more. And you see – you've seen that – yeah, in the playoffs, and you've seen oh, that kind of hinder uh, Joel Embiid's impact. But I do, I, I think that this Philly team is the best one they've had in a very long time. It still sort of feels like they're missing one piece just because of how loaded the other teams in the East are. But I mean, Embiid, he's making offensive reads passing wise that are a little bit more dynamic than he had done in the future. And I kind of feel like that this uh, style of play is going to be sustainable as long as he's healthy in the playoffs and they could really make some noise here. I just feel like they're a piece short. Now, maybe you go and you add Bruce Brown or someone like that. And maybe that's not the flashiest move, but he's a nice connector piece um, because I don't know if you necessarily need like another star to take away touches from Embiid and Maxi, but I feel like you need another, just another person in there that's maybe like a, a, a solid high-end role player to kind of maximize what you can do here. Yeah, I I would agree because I think if you add another star, like you said, it takes the ball out of Embiid's hands. But at the same time, I think adding another scoring option wouldn't be the worst thing. Like, mm -hmm. like I said, I don't think a heliocentric offense and having the ball in Embiid's hands the entire game is going to push you over the edge against a great team like Boston or Milwaukee. Um I think the Sixers would also be vulnerable to getting beat in the first round by a team. Like if they go up against the really? Pacers, if they go up against the Pacers, I understand Embiid would probably have a field day um, on Miles Turner. But like the Pacers' pace 
kind of cool, cool yeah, play there. But the Pacers' pace that they play with offensively, I think they would have the potential to run Philly out of the gym in some games. I really do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, they're definitely a piece away. What that piece is, I'm not too sure at the moment. Like, I don't know if it's another high-end role player or if it's another star because we saw what happened when they did have another star and there was a discombobulated team. And, and you know, I guess vibes-wise and chemistry-wise, they were way off. So it maybe it is another high-end role player. Maybe it's just another solid role player, not even a high-end, like a mid uh, like a middle-of-the-road guy who can knock down threes and play defense, like another Bruce 3D Brown. guy. Bruce Brown. Yeah. I, I Yeah, I'm, ex- I'm interested in seeing it because it feels like championship is within grasp this year for philly and oh, daryl think so i do i do think so with a with a guy playing like this and Embiid, if he's able to stay healthy they can they in any uh matchup they could have the best guy on the floor truly but the Other best guy on the Denver. floor doesn't i mean they have probably the best guy on the floor against the celtics do you think oh yeah they do right but who would you take in the seven who would any logical fan take in a seven game series the Celtics, but I don't think it would be like I. There's a path. There's a path to victory this year for Philly, is what I'm trying to say. And um, it's a tough one. It's a tough it's one, a tough especially one. especially if they're the three seed. Because if like again, the season ended today, the Sixers. I would be shocked if they got a two seed in the East. I would be very surprised. Um, but if the season ended today, they're going to play the Heat. And I would not want to play the Heat. You have to beat the Heat, then you have to go beat the Bucks, and then you have to go beat the Celtics. That's a brutal fucking road for a yeah, Sixers. That's team. a gauntlet. That's a gauntlet for sure. I mean, it's just going to be a gauntlet for whoever, whoever makes it to the finals. It's going to be, it's going to be rough. And yeah, this is uh, it's an open year though, and it is yeah. It that's is why open and. Daryl Morey has never been afraid to pull the trigger. So I, I feel like Philly is a team to watch at the deadline right now because they need to maximize what they have with Embiid right now to make sure they doesn't go to like the Knicks in a couple of years or Miami or wherever. So this is going to be very interesting. Let's go to Minnesota now. Cat puts up 62 in a loss yeah. to the Hornets. Uh, what was your takeaway from that one? Listen, my biggest takeaway was... Um... The fact that A, they lost, and B, what their coach said after the game. I thought uh, Finch was dead on when he said it's an absolute disgusting performance of defense and immature basketball. Uh, I think he also went on to say they were trying to feed the hot hand so much, and it absolutely bit him in the butt, and they weren't making the right basketball play, and that's what led him to choke a, I think it was 16, 16-point loss. Yeah, or 18-point lead, 18-point lead lead in the fourth quarter. And I think it was, I think he's absolutely right. The team played very immature down the stretch, and that's what led to them losing. Like, Cat had a phenomenal, you know, first half, and um, even the third quarter was okay, but two for 10 in the fourth quarter when it's crunch time and you're losing, and you also have Anthony Edwards on the floor. Like, if Cat cooled down, fine, get it. Like, you still have another superstar that is capable of getting a bucket at any time. And the fact that they went Carl Anthony Towns ISO on the last play of the game to try and get a layup on Leaky Black. Shout out you Leaky Black, yeah, UNC alum. Great defender, made a great defensive play, and then went and knocked free two throws. free throws down and end the game. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I just don't understand why they kept trying to go to Cat down the stretch. Um, I don't know if, like, Finch didn't seem to take any responsibility for it, which I think is a little immature. Like, you got to get your guys, you know. Well, I if, bet you they you, were acting on their own. 
Yeah, I, a part of it, and it, and that's a problem too. Like you know, we're talking about the, the player empowerment. Like, what you know, coaches play a significant role, but it's 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 the players who win games and go out and perform. Um, so yeah, they were they were probably a little bit of acting on their own, but Finch had to get get his guys under control late because Cat was not the answer down the stretch. This game told me a lot more about Minnesota than I thought it would, especially because, like with the Celtics, we saw Tatum after the OKC game. He guarded. I mean, during that game, he guarded Shea the entire time and really took a backseat to scoring. And after the game, Joe Mazzulla said that, you know, uh, he appreciates Tatum so much because he's willing to do things like that, like take a backseat scoring-wise in order to play, like give all of his attention to defense and guarding the best player. And Tatum afterwards said he doesn't really focus on scoring anymore. He really wants to win and win championships. And that really showed a new level of maturity from both Tatum and the Celtics team that really we hadn't seen before and I think is what's going to be enough to hopefully put him over the edge this year. Um, we don't see that yet from Minnesota and maybe we had, like I, I might have overreacted. I probably had them coming into the Western Conference Finals, I think, against Denver and I would pick Denver over them. You could start to see them sort of fall apart in the playoffs, I think, because they are so young and it's pretty evident, although they have Mike Conley, that they probably need another adult in the room, um, especially seeing them live. Like McDaniels is awesome, but he is kind of an emotional guy. Like you have to remember last season, he had to lead, he missed a playoff game because he broke his hand punching something yeah. out of frustration. Um, he fouls out a lot. Like he fouls out a lot more than I think people realize. And he fouls a lot more than people realize. And I think that's because he's very, he's like an emotional player. Uh, Anthony Edwards seems to be pretty cool and collected, but um, so I'm not really worried about him, but Kat and Gobert are two guys that are pretty emotional players as well. And I think you probably need, you know, an adult or in the room, or they just kind of need to grow together a little bit more to become more, you know, mature as they age. But at some point you got to stop thinking about me, myself, and you have to think about this team and think about doing what's best for the team. And, they did not do that last night against Hornets, which is weird that we're shitting on them after Cat had 62. So I think we should give him some praise. But a loss, He's but been it's playing a loss. awesome. It's True. a loss. And Cat even said in the To the Hornets, too. Like, right. Cat um, even said after the game, like, you know, this loss makes it feel not historic. Like, yeah. It was the most points in franchise history. I think the stat is Carl Anthony Towns now owns the top three uh, highest scoring games in Minnesota history. Uh, it was like 60, 62, and then it was like 50, high 50, something like that. Um, but listen, newing, sorry, winning is very new to this team. True. So I think that they will figure it out and they will mature. Anthony Edwards is still very young. They still have a lot of young pieces, but maybe getting like a, you know, not exactly PJ Tucker, but a presence, a veteran presence like that. Who I like Tucker won't actually. Play. You do? I like I, like, I, won't, I really won't like play a ton. You no. won't play a ton and you'll fucking get the locker room in a winning mentality and and, yeah. and put a chip on the on the team's shoulder. Like that's kind of what this team needs, right? They're they're winning this year, and I don't think really anybody expected them to be this good right now. Mm -hmm. Um I think they have the best defense or second best defense by the Celtics in the league or something like that. They have I a think top the five best defense for now. Yeah. I think they have definitely yeah, so they have the top defense in the league. Winning is very new to them. Um, bringing in a veteran presence to calm the heads and um, getting them to play solid basketball when it when it matters, I think, would be very beneficial. 
Um, but I think the Hornets will, or not the Hornets, the fucking Timberwolves will be competitive for a long time, or at least a, at least in the next couple of years. I see if they can, as long as they keep maturing year after year and understanding what it takes to win in in close games and big games. Yeah, I think I think um, in the fall in the coming years they're going to be you know more in contention. Uh, I just think that I had them as like legit contenders this year. And performances like this, they they tend to like they lost that Celtics game. The Celtics went and worked really hard to get that win, but uh, Minnesota kind of fell apart down the stretch there. Uh, I I kind of underestimated how young they were, and I I, I kind of want to tamp tamper down my expectations for them um, in this playoffs. I think, but you know, things like this are important. They help the team grow, and um, like they needed this to happen. Now, Cat has been it looks like he's been completely unlocked by playing with Anthony Edwards which I think is really interesting. Yeah, and sometimes that's what it takes, right? If you don't, you know, and having another superstar to facilitate the ball uh and go get a bucket where all the eyes and pressure aren't on you. Um the emergence of Anthony Edwards has been nothing but beneficial for Carl Anthony Towns and I think Carl Anthony Towns while he probably won't have 60 every night he'll be more consistent um, because he feels less pressure when he has the ball. I think in the past, there's been a lot of, you know, media pressure and internal pressure on him to kind of be the guy uh, on offense. And I don't think he is the number one option on this team. I still think it's Anthony Edwards, but if your number two is going for 62 in any, he can, he can do that on a given night. Uh, it's it's absolutely it's it's massive, and so I um I think the emergence of Anthony Edwards will only further help Carl Anthony Towns grow as a yeah. player. And I also think offensively, yeah, and I also think like the mindset of Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards is clearly like an alpha dog. Um, he's clearly like you know closer to Jimmy Butler than Cat was in terms of mentality. So I think Anthony Edwards is starting to rub off on Cat a little bit and make him you know tougher. Um, and you know just more headstrong which is good to see so i'm happy for he that is pretty soft he is pretty soft he is still yeah he's still got some soft moments for sure but uh yeah so busy night in the nba this is our that's this has been our quick little, we got a little more. pod we got a little more what to else? talk about you, uh, kd kevin durant yes 43 points in a game winner that's yeah pretty awesome and they, were, they they came back from 23 down against the bulls um without zach levine so I, what I, I don't know. I know you and Jordan talked about the, maybe it was you and Led talked about the Suns, mm-hmm. but are they just bad? Like, are they just a bad basketball team? Are the Suns bad? Yeah. Well, no, but they, how do I put this? They're kind of weirdly built. I think, uh, they're. I think they, they are a little bit behind in terms of what the NBA did. So the NBA stopped doing big threes as much and is now more reliant on like a number one star, an obvious, you know, number two, but maybe like one A, one B. And then the third star is a little bit less, but is, you know, someone that is a connector piece um, and fits well within the other two stars. Now, Bradley Beal idealistically fits what they're trying to do alongside Booker and KD, but he never has done it in his in his career. Like they need a facilitator, they need a, a straight point guard. Bradley Beal has not been that in his entire career, and now they're asking him to be that. So there's going to be a learning curve to begin with. But they also just don't have a ton of depth. Um, 
like I said, I mean, their starting lineup of Durant, Nurkic, Beal, Allen, and Booker is solid. Um, I would like, you know, an upgrade over Nurkic and probably over Grayson Allen as well. But then, I mean, they they only go four deep on the bench with Drew Eubanks, Kieta Bates-Diop, Josh Akogi, and Saban Lee. That is a terrible... That is a And Shemezi Metsu plays sometimes, but uh, last night, Shemezi Metsu, Yuta Watanabe, Nasir Little, um, and Azubike did not play. So they are very, very limited off the bench. Uh, if you look at the Celtics bench, it's way better. If you look at Denver's bench, if you look at Minnesota's bench, like every every other team has a better bench than the Suns. The Suns are really reliant on their three stars to go out and play awesome all the time. And minus Booker, those two other stars have had his, uh, injury histories. So I think it's a little bit of everything. I think they have an old team model. They are you know very pop heavy and uh, they're still trying to figure out how to play well together. So we can see games like tonight where they play awesome. They come back down like 20 something and beat the Bulls with KD just completely going off. But I mean, I don't think it's very sustainable because of because other teams have had that. longer together. And I don't know, this team's built weirdly to me. Do you think they can figure it out though? Um. So I, my general rule of thumb is when you have amazing basketball minds like KD, like Booker, like Beal, you're going to tend to figure out something out. So something I do think out. they can figure something out. Um, realistically, though, if you're looking at their cap and their draft picks, like draft capital, uh, they're not going to be able to figure something out via trade at all. They just have to kind of live with what they did. Okay, got it. Got so it. So it's an internal issue. I was yeah. also having this debate with Jordan because, in my opinion, I think Kevin Durant is still a top five player in the world. I I'm there. I'm there. I'm around there. Um, he played. He played rough to start this season. Um, he's had kind of ups and downs, but I I I I I love Kevin Durant. I'm always going to be a I, Kevin Durant guy, and he's been playing really well. He's he's gotten back to back forty point games, forty three forty. So yeah, me too. I I think Kevin Durant is still a top five player in the world. I think his scoring ability and his size is just unmatched. I mean, his jump shot is literally quite literally unguardable and uncontestable, pretty much ninety percent of the time. Um, and if he's on, you like that's what that's the thing because you see Embiid score, you know, you see Embiid score seventy, you see Cat score sixty two. You think I'm thinking to myself like, do I think Kevin Durant could score sixty points or sixty five points yeah. in a game? Absolutely. Absolutely. If Kevin Durant's on a team by himself, he would average 35 a night. Yeah. He's already like, had three 30-point games this season. Like, and or it's three 40-point games, sorry. Right. Like, I think if Kevin Durant was on a team by himself in his prime, like a Dame was where Dame would have ridiculous scoring nights or kind of like a Harden was um, when he could kind of do whatever the fuck he wanted on offense. If Kevin Durant was in those positions, like Embiid, I think he would he would – you know, his scoring, he would have numbers. He would have, not, oh my God, he would have nights where you say, holy shit, Kevin Ranch had 70. Yeah. I I, like, I think he's capable of that because I think he's that fucking good. I agree. I'm I'm a huge fan and I think he is fucking awesome. Um, Yeah. So, all right. Anything else you want to cover before we go? This was just our semi-emergency podcast because some... Uh, Tatum scored 39. Happened. Tatum scored yeah, 39 was... last night, and the Celtics yeah, and got a big win. 
yeah, and Brown had like 34 or 5 too, which was cool. I like watching them both go off like that. No, yeah, no Porzingis. Uh, Celtics get a big win on the road, a little back to back in Texas. They yeah. went from Houston to Dallas. So, um, shout out RCs. They continue to just roll. Uh, do you want to talk about the Celtics loss at home? Uh, against Denver. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, I have a thoughts. I have a, I have a few thoughts. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, let's do it. Let's hear it. It was horrible late game execution again. And that is literally, I've come on this podcast 25 fucking times and I've said late game execution is the reason the Celtics will not win a championship. If they figure that out, they will win a championship. And they actually, you know, Max, you were at a game where their late game execution was phenomenal Mm -hmm. and they played really well down the stretch. They were down seven with what a minute 30 left against the, against the Timberwolves came back and played great in overtime and won. But then you have nights like, you know, against Denver, where they're up eight in the fourth quarter, up 10 in the fourth quarter, and, you know, just choke away a lead, and their offense is stagnant down the stretch, and their last shot is a fucking horrible Tatum fadeaway. Like, I, you know, this offense, Joe Joe Missoula down the stretch continues to, to disappoint. And they have one good play that you see them run once a year, where, you know, it used to be Marcus Smart would get the ball uh, at the top of the three-point line, Tatum would start in the backcourt, run in, pick a side, Smart would throw a bounce pass. Tatum would get downhill and score. Like that's that's our best play. Why and and I don't know why we don't go back to it or we don't have a second best play because every time it seems like we don't run that play, we have no you have no idea what we're doing down the stretch. And I know it's just a regular season game, um, but like the Nuggets, despite their place in the West right now, they will most likely be there in the end. And you're going to have to find ways to win close games if we're going to want to win a championship. And the Celtics just continue to disappoint, man. And I'm really worried. Like, that. that really? is a game that just makes me worried. Okay, so... About 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 a championship. Not, like, as a as a whole. Like, our, our team's fucking really solid. We're still really, really good. But when it comes to championships, because that's where our mindset has to be at, as Celtics fans at this point, that makes me very nervous. All right, so I'm not nervous at all, actually, and especially because this tweet came out yesterday, uh, three days ago after the game. Jamal Murray was highlighting how technically complex last night's game versus the Celtics was. Quote, it felt like each time out, something was different. They came out in a 2-1-2 zone. They put Drew on me to start. JB would press. Sometimes they'd switch with Porzingis. Sometimes they blitzed. Now, I don't think Joe Mazzulla is actually that bad of a coach, especially because he has such an elite assistant coaching staff around him. What I do think is happening, yeah, and the other guy, too, I forget his name, but his lead assistant is really good, too, and I really like him. Um, And I feel bad that I can't remember his name right now. But I think what's happening is we have overhang from last season as a Celtics fans when Joe Mazzulla was a bad coach. I think his name's Charles Lee, if you're looking it up. I'm looking it up right now. I think his name's Charles Lee. I could be wrong about that. Um, Charles Lee, yep, there you go. Okay, I think we have over like a hangover from last season, where we still think Joe Mazzulla is a bad coach because stuff doesn't go our way. What I do think he's doing is I think he's using this regular season to kind of test a bunch of stuff out and see what he likes and see what works and kind of build off of that. And I think he used Denver, the final you know, game in the closing moments against Denver as a way to kind of test out you know, different scenarios, different defensive scenarios against one of the best teams, if not the best team in the NBA, and see what kind of works. So I'm not as afraid because I think I actually like Joe Missoula this year, and I think this coaching core is really good. 
and sometimes stuff just doesn't go your way. And I kind of felt like that's how it went for, for the Celtics rather than coaching flaws. Now, were there mistakes? Yes. Do I think he's going to be able to capitalize off them? Yes. Um, he does sometimes make the same mistake, but I've noticed this year that he makes changes, which is something you couldn't say last year. I think, again, in that OKC game, if I remember correctly, Drew Holiday was playing really, really bad, and he was not in the closing group. Instead, Pritchard was in the closing group, and we lost. But that was a change that you know, Missoula would not have made last year, and maybe that would have cost us the game as well with Drew Holiday continuing to stink it up. So I like that he's actually making changes, whereas last year he really wasn't. I agree. I mean, I definitely agree. I think he's learned a lot from last year. Um, he's like, like Jamal Murray was alluding to the defensive schemes uh, worked for a while until they didn't until we yeah. Jamal Murray Island. And he kind of took over in the fourth quarter. But I, I, I think second row Joe is doing a much better job this year. I think he's learned a lot from last year, but we're not, I think we're going to see it. Like we're going to see if he, how much he's really progressed in the playoffs. Yeah. Like that's it's all it's all great. Like we're you know best team in the NBA right now. We're 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 rolling. We feel great, but it's just kind of one of those things where like the, you lost the Nuggets at home and you, you want to think about it. And you know we kind of want to be perfectionists right now because we want a title. Like that's that's our that's our goal. That's our that's where our heads are at. And so we're gonna nitpick. Or at least I'm going to nitpick. That's that's what I'm going to do because we don't have a ton of room for error, especially against the Nuggets. So. I think he's doing a much better job, but we won't see how much he's improved until it comes to crunch time and playoff time down the stretch. What has he got up his sleeve to help us win games late? Yeah, especially, I mean, like Quinn Snyder outcoached him first round against the Hawks. We almost lost that round. He did. Eric Spolstra, 100% outcoached. Yeah, Eric Spolstra put on a clinic against Missoula and completely <laughs> really outcoached, outcoached us. But, so. but Spolstra is obviously one of the yeah, he does best coaches like in everybody. NBA history. Yeah. yeah. But I think Joe has learned a lot. I think he's, I think he's, much more mature this year. And I think the I think the guys are doing a great job of like sticking I love this with team. Him I love this team so much. By him. Yeah. Yeah. I think everybody's buying into Joe's philosophy. And like you don't really see a lot. You never really see a displeased Celtics player like, no, on the they're court. They're all so happy. Off and they're, on. Yeah, off and on. This this team's cohesion is is unbelievable. And they all seem to be bought into what we're doing which I think is great, and I think it's going to be a difference maker uh, come playoff time. I do. I, I have a special fucking feeling about this team. I don't know, man. I There's something different in the air this year. There is. I feel like I feel it in my heart. I said if the uh, – I was talking to Jordan the other day when we played the Nuggets and we were up when we were up at halftime and we were like up, yeah. up a lot early, and I was like, man, if the Celtics win the championship, I am buying every starting five players jersey. And I'm buying a Letterman jacket. I'm buying a fake Larry O'Brien oh, yeah. trophy. I'm buying literally every piece of memory. We make the possible. Kobe. We make the Kobe picture with the Letterman. We make the Kobe picture the... with my own with my own Letterman in in a shower. And like I would just create a shrine to this team if they I won would a championship. Too. I already bought my Derek White uh, City Edition jersey. So sick! Game. I would buy. I would buy all five starters City Edition jerseys. Dude, I wanted to buy Tatum's, but the zero is ridiculously tiny. Have you noticed that? Is it? Oh, it's man, disgusting. It's it's half the size of his other zeros on his other jerseys. Really? I wanted to get a Tatum jersey, obviously, but the zero was fucking stupid. It looks like a a, a, a lowercase o. Stupid. It's terrible. It's terrible. Stupid. So stupid. I would say Derek White's get, a great I, choice, though. Derek White was. I mean, uh, a bunch of people were asking for it and looking for it, and they the guy said they're out. But then I found like a little side shelf that had a couple, and I was like, oh, I, I gotta fucking get that. 
Gotta obviously. get it. Yeah. Gotta get um, it. Saw a guy in a fucking uh, Yavaselli jersey, which I thought was. That's awesome. that's really cool. That's yeah. special. I'm going to get a that's Steamsma really jersey, special. dude. That's really special. Yeah. Dude, we, we, need, we need some just like Celtics bums. Like if someone just showed up in a Jared Sullinger jersey, oh, you, were like, yeah. you were here for it. A Brandon Bass oh, yeah. jersey. You you Brandon were Bass. here. We were oh, all yeah. here. We were here um, for that. Yeah. I, every, I was thinking about game. getting a Jalen Brown jersey. Oh, I like that too. I was I, I have want to two, get two. I have two Tatums. I have a white Tatum from like four years ago or five years yeah. ago with the GE logo. Oh, geez, might not remember the GE logo before yeah. Vistaprint. It was GE. And then I have a black one with the Vistaprint logo. Yeah. I have an Adidas next, Al Horford jersey. I think it's Jalen. That's fucking cool. Yeah. I had a Kyrie one. Um, oh, I, I had a Kyrie. I, I burned it. I literally set on fire. You burned it? I did. That's not petty so... at all. That's you don't no. you don't have rage issues. That's not that's not <laughs> was, petty at all. I was so mad. It's not my <laughs> proudest moment. I feel really, and it wasn't after anything. It was, a, it was immediately it was after he left. It, I it was, was a dark so time mad. For us. <laughs> Kyrie was my favorite player at at the time. I loved him so much. Um, yeah, he was. Special. I had his shoes and everything. I was so fucking mad when he gave that bullshit speech on the floor. Oh, yeah. I think I'd like to be back if y'all will have me. I was like, yes, Kyrie, we'll have you. And then he fucking, <laughs> we fucking left. love you, Kyrie. Oh. Yeah, I think he I got cancer, dumped though. that year too. Hey, we yeah. had to, you know, uh, it's a tough. That's a tough year. That's a tough uh, but year. Sometimes you have to cut a piece of yourself off to grow. Yeah, exactly. And that's yeah. and I think that's what we did. And I think that's what I think that's how we end that pod on that beautiful I think fucking note. Beautiful Good job, Butsy. All right, uh, we're gonna have. I'm sure NBA uh, is gonna ramp up now that we're getting closer to the trade deadline. So, um, we're gonna have some like you know semi-emergency stuff um and if anything happens then we'll do full nba segments um in the lead up but for now we'll probably like focus and pretend that you're just gonna assume that an nfl podcast will be coming out later in the week with no nba attached to it um unless well, something happens and then NBA unless something big happens happen. yep. yeah but a uh, conference um, championship preview oh yeah coming out friday yes i'm excited to hear it and yeah so thank you all for listening we'll be back later in the week and peace <laughs>